This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. It's me and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Now launching. Mackie and Judd. We get things rolling with the opening bell. Want to ring the bell? The only thing I'm, uh, you know, really that we're concerned about for Everson isn't anything to do with football. It's about uh, him getting better. And uh, in the five years that I've been here, I've always loved Everson. The, the effort that he puts out, the work that he does, the chance to count on him in game time, and um, you know, even in practice. So he's always been a uh, really, really good model for us. And uh, obviously, he's going through some tough times now. You know, I'm not really going to talk about you know, things that we talked about internally. Um, you know, again, we just—I just hope for the best for him. He's a, he, in the long run, he's a really good kid. I, I hope to see him every day, but you know, I, the only thing I'm—you know—it's n- nothing to do with football. All right, Manny Hill. I'd like to start the show by saying this: on Sunday, when people were on Twitter speculating about what Everson Griffin was going through and why he wasn't at the game, and there were a lot of people saying, "You know, you guys are covering something up. You know something, and you should be telling us." I'm going to give you the details, but this is the very reason why I think people get confused sometimes. I think they think because we cover sports. Listen, if Everson Griffin's about to be traded or something, and we swing and miss with sources, and we're wrong, yeah, it sort of sucks, but it's sports, right? The difference is for everybody out there on Twitter saying, hey, and spreading what was going on around, what I'm about to read you is why in instances like this, you don't go near it until you got the facts. Exactly. This is a this is the exact reason why, you know, if it's a guy's about to be waived or traded or released and you have a and you have a source and you go with it and you're wrong, yeah, that's too bad you don't like it, but this is why you don't delve into the world of I think I heard this about Everson Griffin. All right. So since we got off the air last night, Channel 5 and the Star Tribune Uh, Both had stories uh, during the course of Monday evening about an incident involving Griffin at the Hotel Ivy in downtown. That was just the start. I'm going to read you verbatim because I think that's the best way to go here, Manny. ESPN.com story about what the latest is on the Vikings Pro Bowl defensive end, and it's not good. The Vikings informed Griffin and his agent last week that the star defensive end would not be allowed back with the team until he underwent a mental health evaluation, according to a police incident report obtained by ESPN's Courtney Cronin, who, by the way, will join us uh, next segment. Les Pico, the Vikings executive director of player development, told a police in Minnetrista that team management sent Griffin and his agent the letter last Thursday, two days before an alleged incident involving Griffin at that 
downtown Minneapolis Hotel. According to the incident report, not arrest report, incident report, Pico told police that Griffin had been, quote, explosive screaming and yelling, end quote, at the team facility and that he had been struggling in recent weeks. Vikings Director of Security Kim Clotter, Claw, Clawwitter told police that the team told Griffin not to play Sunday and to go, quote, get his head on straight. When Griffin reported to the team facility for practice uh, Saturday, he was sent home. Even though the Vikings want Griffin to undergo mental health evaluation, Pico told police that Griffin has not done or said anything that led the team to believe that he is a danger to himself or others. However, Griffin is now being evaluated at a Minneapolis area hospital, according to the incident report. A league source told ESPN's Josina Anderson that Griffin is, quote, getting assistance on personal matters, end quote, and that the league is comfortable. He has a good support system around him. This is after the incident that happened started. So as best I can piece this together... Manny Hill. Everson Griffin was told by the Vikings, go away and get yourself help, or mm-hmm. perhaps they tried to help him on Thursday. Now, he was not practicing because of a knee injury, so his absence didn't mean much to us. It's not like they that the press that covers the Vikings showed up on Friday and said, he's not here. If he wasn't there, it makes sense because he was hurt and then subsequently declared out for that game on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills. Right. So on Thursday, he shows up for practice and they're like, no, 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 we've told you you're banned. So then it sounds like he had moved out of his home, at least for the week, and was staying at Hotel Ivy in downtown Minneapolis. It's there that he created a scene in the lobby. He laid down on the floor. It's The report says that he threatened to shoot someone if he wasn't let into his room, but nobody, including the Minneapolis cops who were called, saw a gun. He then, when he saw the, when the cops came, Griffin agreed to leave. So you think to yourself, okay, that's a weird day right there, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the start of it. He then went back to his uh, miniaturista home, and I will read once again from the ESPN report. Following the incident at the hotel Saturday, Griffin allegedly attempted to break into the home of teammate Trey Waynes before he climbed into a stranger's truck at a gas station and was driven back to his home. The police in Minatrista then met with Griffin at his home, asked by police why he went to Wayne's home. Griffin said that, quote, God made me do it and later agreed to go to the hospital. Mm. The reporting officer placed a health and and welfare hold on Griffin based upon, quote, his actions and information I had acquired about him. While waiting for the ambulance to take him to the hospital, Griffin reportedly told an officer about people trying to kill him. And it gets even weirder. He then, while the ambulance was en route to the hospital jumped out of the ambulance saying he was in fear of someone shooting him he wouldn't lay back down on the gurney for the uh for the medics who were trying to transport him they had to call the police back in and the police convinced him at that point to get back into the ambulance and then followed it to the hospital where griffin is now but this is why you don't throw stuff out there Exactly. Right? This is why you don't guess and say, "Well, I'm 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 hearing." We all knew. And this is damn sure why you don't make jokes on Twitter, which I saw a few of those yesterday. Yes, yes, and because it's not funny. It's not funny, and we have now, thankfully, I think, moved into a day and age where we, even if we don't get this, we sympathize. Right? Yeah. We don't now now because I go back. I covered Griffin. He got drafted in the fourth round out of USC in 2010. And the reason why he fell to the fourth round was because there, there were character concerns. And if you recall, in January of 2011 then, after his rookie year, in which I don't think he played much, he was arrested twice in two days in California. 
in Los Angeles. And the first time was for public intoxication. And the second time was for he didn't have a valid license. And that's the incident where he got arrested, though, because he grabbed a cop in a very sensitive place. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you're thinking, what's wrong with this guy? Now we know there's something just wrong. And you're right. That's why you don't make jokes about it on Twitter. That's why you don't float your theories about it on Twitter. That's why when Mike Zimmer said post game, when, when Ben Gessling of the Star Tribune said, Griffin wasn't here, what's going on? And Mike said something along the lines of, he has a personal issue and I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. That's why you certainly explore that, but you don't come up with half-baked theories. And this is incredibly serious. Griffin obviously is not going to be back for a while. And at this point yeah. in time, football is completely secondary to anything that involves this guy's health and or mental state. Yeah, and you just hope, you just, above all things, you just hope for the best for him. I mean, forget about football. I mean, you just hope that he is, whatever's going on, that that he gets the help that he needs and that, you know, things things turn out for the better for him beyond football, beyond coming back to be a pass rusher for the Vikings. Like, all that is so secondary right now. You just hope that whatever's going on with him, that he can find some sort of some sort of help for that. Yeah. Just so help that he peace, can right? just so that he can live and just continue to to live a life for a long time. And uh it's it's really sad and you know and I'm I'm not gonna list off any people specifically but there were a lot of people making some jokes and some just trying to make light of of all of this last night that I saw on social media and it's just it's not funny man it's really not funny and I know it's easy for people to do that sort of thing on social media because they don't have to a lot of times they don't have to show their face they don't have to give their real name but it's just it's not funny people it's it's really not and you just, I mean, for me, I just, I just hope the best for him. I really do. Yeah, it, it's sad. It's it is. Sa- it's, it's really sad. sad. And and the police report, which I went through this afternoon, is incredibly disturbing. Incredibly disturbing. Yeah. And you realize, but the one good thing, or hopefully the one, the one thing that can come from this in 2018 is, I think, and this might be a reach. I think enough people are enlightened by now about this type of me- about mental health that it's no longer uh, oh he's just crazy, right? The only thing, the only thing, Manny, that I hope is is just paraphrased and not true is the quote from a Vikings official about telling him to quote go get his head straight. I'm hoping that's just paraphrased because the Vikings are a pretty enlightened team at times, and my. My hope for them is that they they would do far more than that, that they would be proactive. Right. And I I know a lot of people behind the scenes with that team who are good people. Mm -hmm. So my only hope is when you read that in the police report, it's paraphrased and it's not it's not how they approached it, that they really did say, you know, we're going to get you help. Yeah. Not just because I don't know if he's not just go get help. Oh, right. Right. How can we help you get help? And I don't know if he if he's off meds he was supposed to be on, if he's been on meds that stopped working. I don't know how that works. Right. But clearly there is something that needs to be done here and quickly. And and I I can only hope that this is the first step towards that. So, yeah, 
Let's do this. Let's take an early break here from the opening bell. Uh, Courtney Cronin, ESPN.com, was out at the Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center today. She does a great job covering the Vikings. She will join us next to update us on this. Uh, Phil will join at 4 o'clock. And then, of course, the football hour at 5 o'clock. We are in the TCL Broadcast Studios right now. Zolgad and Manny Hill. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley dokley. On 1500 ESPN. Hey. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, then. On 1500 ESPN. Quick look at your traffic brought to you by Vasper Spain. Uh, Vasper Stain, excuse me. Uh, southbound 100, there is a crash uh, between Minnetonka Boulevard and... Uh, Highway 7 in St. Louis Park, so be be on the lookout for a crash there that may delay your commute. Also, 35E northbound, there's a crash near North Oaks between uh, County Road J and Main Street. There's a crash there, so be on the lookout for that as well. Cooler weather is deck-staining weather, so hurry to Lowe's and save now on Vasper. One coat exterior stain. Buy one and get the second one at half price, September 26th through October 3rd, only at Lowe's. The only thing I'm, uh, you know, really we're concerned about for Everson isn't anything to do with football. It's about uh, him getting better. And uh, in the five years that I've been here, I've always loved Everson. The, the effort that he puts out, the work that he does, the chance to count on him in game time, and um, you know, even in practice. So he's always been a uh, really, really good model for us. And uh, obviously, he's going through some tough times now. TCL Broadcast Studios, uh, Mackie and Judd. Phil will join at 4 o'clock right now. It is Judd Manny Hill. And joining us on the phone from uh, the TCO Performance Center, Courtney Cronin, who does a great job covering the Vikings for ESPN.com and has been on this uh, Griffin story all day long and all last night as well. What is What can you tell us, Courtney, is the latest on this story, including a tweet that you just put out there from uh, the camp of Trey Waynes and the team itself? Well, Mike Zimmer, as I heard the sound play about a minute ago, he addressed the media this afternoon. I mean, he came in talking about the Rams game. He said he didn't really want to talk. Um, he didn't have that much to say about the Everson Griffin situation, but then kind of softened his stance as we, you know, asked follow-up questions. I asked him the last time, you know, what was the last time he had talked to Griffin? And it was uh, the Green Bay game. So there was there was a week period there where, uh, Zimmer had not had communication with his star defensive end and his captain. Um, and then we learned that, you know, via the police report obtained by ESPN from Minnetrista Police Department, um, there was an incident apparently here at the facility. Um, there was, I believe, the, I believe Les Pico, the, the director of player development, had said that Griffin had been shouting and, you know, was just really acting obstreperous. Um, in ways that had not, you know, had not been seen before. It seems that this was concerning to them, where they said to him and his agent via letter, um, you need, you're, you're not welcome back here until you go get a mental health evaluation. That was Thursday, September 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, Griffin was out all last week with a knee injury. Mike Zimmer reiterated today that he wouldn't have played in Sunday's game against the Bills. Um, had this incident, um, had multiple incidents on Saturday not occurred, um, if he was there on the sideline, he would have remained there because the knee injury was clearly so severe that you know it would have kept him out of the game. Um, so what we kind of know now is the he's not going to be with the team on Thursday, which I think is pretty obvious. I'm not sure when he will be returning to the team. He's clearly dealing with some very serious personal issues. Um, 
that you know the, the team is is putting all their focus on, on that and and making sure that he gets better and the football is not the focus right now. Uh, what what you were referencing, Judd, the Trey Wayne statement that I was just sent uh, via Vikings. Uh, public relations that said that there was no attempted break-in at Wayne's home. He and both he and Griffin live uh, not far from each other. I believe in the same subdivision in the Minnetrista area. That there was no attempted break-in at no time did he nor his family feel unsafe. But that is contradictory information from what was listed in a very very detailed police report by Minnetrista police uh, with statements from. Uh, Kim Clywater, the director of security, uh, Les Pico, as I had mentioned, Trey Wayne's name was in the police report. Yes. Um, but there's also some contradictory information there that the fiance of Trey Wayne's had actually called Tiffany Griffin, um, who was Everson's wife, saying that there was an incident out at the home and that Everson was shirtless in the bushes. Um, but also in the summary of the of the police report said that there was that he didn't attempt it, it didn't sound like he attempted to break it it sounds like he had opened the door and then ran away at that yes. point so it's there's a lot of gray area here trying to like lay this out is is pretty difficult because this is not even you know the whole story here i mean we still talk about what happened at the viking facility that that's there's still a lot of unknown as to the incident that may have occurred here that led to this and before that you know the hotel ivy incident downtown Minneapolis where Everson Griffin had apparently uh, threatened to shoot people in the lobby according to a different police report uh, had they not let him up to his room where I don't believe he was staying at the time he was staying at the hotel but there was I think the area that he wanted to get to he was not um, he did not have like authority to be over there I don't know if that's where his room was so yeah lot, lots going on yeah exactly now now to be clear the report from the police is essentially a play-by-play but it's so it sounds like Wayne's fiance called Everson's wife and and Griffin through this whole thing is hospitalized now, but he's not under arrest. So I think the break-in is semantics, right? Because it's not like it's not like Wayne's fiance called the cops. She called, I think she called Griffin's wife and said he's here. So I think the confusion lie, lies in the fact that Griffin did try to get into the home, but there wasn't like a perceived threat that caused the police to be called. Correct. I mean, there were there were from the the way the police report was written, there were um, and obviously some reports that came out of an attempted break in. Uh, there was no crime that he was charged with. He was not charged with breaking and entering, which is why there was no arrest. Um, it's different than the you know the police report from. It's actually not even a police report. The one from uh, Minneapolis police was an incident data re- detail report. And I think because, this one is too. Yeah, that this one essentially is too because there was no arrest made. Right. Um, the authorities were able to place him in an involuntary, uh, involuntary mental health and welfare hold, which um, usually is for several, you know, several days. Sometimes those things go up to seventy-two hours, where um, you're basically at that point have no other choice but to get the mental health evaluation. And it seemed like he, you know, cooperated enough at that point to go with police once the ambulance arrived at his house so i mean there was a lot of moving around by everson griffin on um on saturday which i mean as you said the, the police report from minnetrista is very much a play-by-play of some really unfortunate events and it clearly details that there's a family um a family that's hurting right now and a family that is very concerned about his well-being and, and this doesn't it sounds like this definitely predates what happened last weekend that this might have been building for some time Courtney, what's your best sense on what is next for the Vikings as they as they move forward here? Because it doesn't sound like Everson's going to be a part of things for a long time, and 
you certainly just wish certainly wish the best for him. But what what is next for the Vikings in in terms of just how they move forward? You know, as the season progresses, and you know, in any way way shape or form that they can be there for Everson without you know trying to without trying to sort of oversteps their bounds and just sort of be as supportive as they can for him. Yeah, I mean, it's they've got a football game two days from now, and he will not be part of that. I agree with you, Manny. I don't see a way for him to be a part of this this season. There, he's a captain. He's got guaranteed money. He's got all this other stuff. Focus on yourself right now. You've got yeah. to get yourself right before you can be back in this building doing your job. I mean, it sounds like this was all bubbling and finally came to a head, and, you know, you're just thankful uh, for, for, for all sides that this came to a head without anybody uh, getting in harm's way uh, physically. So what I, what I think will happen next is, you know, certainly – they they have a need uh, to. I mean, Everson Griffin is a huge part of that pass rush, but on the other side, you have Daniel Hunter, who is a tremendous talent. Uh, Stephen Weatherly performed pretty well. I, I would I would think you know, and all things considered, against Buffalo, he recorded his first sack. I mean, granted, the game was terrible, but Weatherly is a bright spot um, and is going to have to step up and really grow up uh, into a role that he is not very familiar with in terms of playing time. I think that they're going to put a lot more onto Sean Bauer. Um, in, in getting him part of this rotation. But right now they're down to three defensive ends. So there's the, there's the question out there. I've been asked it multiple times. Does this mean that the Vikings would consider calling Brian Robeson out of retirement? Or I don't even think he's retiring. I asked Everson about this the, the Monday after the 53-man roster was formed, and I said, you know, is, is he done playing? He's like, no. I, if I know my dog, White Chocolate, is what he said, um, he's still playing. He's still got a lot left in the tank. So... There's, I, I, you would think that down to three defensive ends, you, know, you have one guy who's rotating between Daniil Hunter and, and uh, Sean Bauer or, and Stephen Weatherly that they might have to bring somebody else in here if they want to continue um, the success that they've had with the pass rush, which means that you'd have to cut somewhere else. Courtney, I asked this question with some trepidation because I've covered this team for a long time, and there are some names here of behind-the-scenes people who I actually like a lot and I, I think are good people. Um, but I'm going to ask you this now just on the surface of, of what I've read and, and what you know from being there a lot and following the story very closely. Do you think this team did enough for Griffin's mental health? Because, you know, you're a National Football League team. You're worth billions of dollars. I would think if you see somebody mentally breaking down and, and it's an employee who you're playing, who you're paying millions of dollars to, that you would go out of your way to get that person help immediately and not, A, kick them out of practice, and, or, B, send them home. What's your sense of of the Vikings' involvement here in being proactive enough to take care of a guy who we know, going back to when he was arrested in January of 11, has definitely mm-hmm. had some mental health issues before? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really uh, tough waters to tread through because maybe there's a liability issue, maybe... You know, there's, there's a lot of things to consider there. I do think that that is still the question that remains unanswered. Um, I don't honestly know if that's a question for Mike Zimmer. Nobody brought no, it up it's this not. afternoon. I agree with I you, think, it's not. And that's, that's why I did not ask him mm-hmm. that. Um, I figured that this is a question for a Rick Spielman or a Kevin Warren or even, um, you know, somebody within that front office structure because they have resources in place here to do a lot of wonderful things for mm-hmm. players, their families, the support system, et cetera. But I think that this really does open the door 
to the argument that you can come back from an ACL, you can come back from rehab from that, you can come back from, you know, what everything Teddy Bridgewater went through. Where is mental health fallen this? It is yeah. not it is an issue in twenty eighteen that is not going away. Yep. It is something that affects multiple people in this building every single day. Um, it, it's not, you know, it, it's, I, I've had conversations with players about this before. Like, when are we going to get to the point where this is not a taboo thing to talk about or it makes you look soft or it makes you look like you can't handle uh, the workload that in the daily stresses of life? I mean, clearly Everson Griffin is, you know, not so great place right now. Um, and, you know, could, could the Vikings have done more? I don't know if I'm going to go out and say that right now. I just think that the, by, the, by, the, by the, what the police report does lay out, um, I think it is troubling that uh, we read, okay, he was he and his agent, Brian Murphy, from Athletes First, were sent a letter saying, hey, we need you to take a mental health evaluation before you can come back in here. So it does kind of, it appears that he was kicked out, of, essentially kicked out of the place that, you know, really should take him in at this time. Um, and it makes you wonder if they did enough. Mike Zimmer did not clarify. Uh, he just kind of declined to clarify whether they knew of any of the mental health issues that Griffin had displayed, you know, last week in the past, um, and really points the fact that this this facility and this organization and this franchise uh, does a lot uh, to, for in terms of support. But you know, I'm, I am going to be curious to see what comes out uh, in the coming days, weeks, months. Uh, you know, if if the Vikings were, you know, ultimately, if there was any sort of responsibility that fell on them, because it does sound like, given everything that we read that happened last Thursday, September twentieth, that it sounds like he was kind of just let, you know, go figure this out, get a mental health evaluation, come back. Why yep. could that not have happened at the facility? Thank you. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Courtney. Yeah, thanks, guys. See you. Bye. Courtney Cronin does a great job. Check out her work, ESPN.com, and uh, that is a question. And she's a 1,000% right, Manny Hill. That is not a Zimmer question. Not at all. I saw Mike Tice before. This was one of the stupidest things, and it's a previous regime. But the love boat thing. Mike Tice, they put him out there every day to answer those questions. It was a legal issue. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do. Mike Zimmer, and, and listen, if he could have done more, that's fine. But he is not the person to answer that question. But, it, that but in question. 2018, yeah. that is a completely legitimate question. Did you do enough? You can't just send people home now, and, and nor should you. No. You can't just you, say, you can't. you're crazy, get out of here until you get better, and then come back and help us win football games. And I don't know the exact details, so... It's a question that needs to be examined and answered, but I do know this, and Courtney's hit it exactly right. In 2018, we are not in a place where you can just say, oh, that's too bad, go get yourself help, and then come back. Mental illness is a serious, serious thing, and it's time for people, if they're not already, to take it seriously. Exactly. It really is. Take a break, come back. Jason Stark will join us, uh, talk some baseball from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boys. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. So what do you think? It's <laughs> pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are talking twins. Now, now with MLB Network contributor and senior baseball writer with The Athletic, Jason Stark. Brought to you by Grundhofer's Old Fashioned Meats. Bring the excitement of Grundhofer's to your next cookout. Hello, Jason Stark. How are you today? What's up there, Judd? Not too much. Uh, unfortunately, do, do you know what stinks? What stinks is the twins are so bad 
that that baseball has sort of died around these parts for this year, which which yeah. which is really tough to take because there's a lot of great stories right now. A lot of great stories. I, uh, I mean, I'm you know we're what five days from October, and it's going to be a wild October. I can't wait. Let's start with the Oakland A's. Yep, thirty nine and twenty since the break. A last place team in the American League West the past three years. They play in an absolute dump. Uh, their payroll is is small. How remarkable of a story is the fact that they're going to, to to the playoffs and still have, I guess, an outside chance, although probably not, to actually win the American League West? Yeah, they're not going to wind up winning the West. They could still host a wild card game. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that you left out was twelve games out of first place in June. Wow! Wow! Right? And I'd forgotten about that part. Ooh. Yeah, and there's. You know, there's just so much to like about this team. It's an incredible formula. You know, if you go around the diamond, you can understand how they win. The two guys at the corners, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, are rising, homegrown stars. And then they got a bunch of guys who hit the ball out of the park, and they're fun. The catcher's tremendous. Jonathan Lucroy's done a great job with that staff. One of the best bullpens in the game. I believe still have not lost a game that they let after seven innings. It's way over a year since they've lost any game they let after seven innings. What's incredible is look at the starting pitchers on their team. (laughs) If you could tell me that a team could go to the postseason Mm -hmm. with Trevor Cahill, Edwin Jackson, Brett Anderson, and Mike Fires as their postseason rotation, and they might bullpen their way through some of those games. Mm-hmm. I'd have said, "What are you smoking?" Seriously. <laughs> so, so explain it. I mean, can you can you begin to to explain it now? How how did there, did this ragtag collection do this? You know, there's some things even they can't explain. Yeah. Uh, you know they they did not expect Edwin Jackson to be this guy. They're 13 and three when Edwin Jackson starts. Mm-hmm. Really. <laughs> I mean, Brent Anderson, you know he might have a few good starts a year, but he's going to spend the whole year in the DL. But right now he's back. He's pitching well. Trevor Cahill, they thought they'd get some mileage out of him. They didn't think they'd win every time he starts. They didn't know Mike Fires would be one of the great trades of the year. Uh, you know, talking to their guys, they think that, you know, beyond their coaching staff, the catcher deserves a ton of credit for this. Um you know, he emphasizes their strengths. The coaching staff knows they've got a great pen. They don't have to run these guys out there more than they absolutely need to. But it's still just a incomprehensible tale of winning with smoke and mirrors you know, when you get to starting pitching. So, Jason, the, the Tampa Bay Rays are 18 games over five they They're nine games back of the Yankees, eight games, I guess, um, behind or seven and a half behind Oakland for the wild card spot. So they're not going to make the playoffs, but right. I mean, but they're good and they're having this phenomenal season. And me and Judd were talking earlier. They'd be, a, if they were in the AL central, they'd be a game back of the Indians. I mean, it's just, it's, it's almost, it's almost kind of not fair that they've had this kind of a season and it's somewhat going to be forgotten because they're not going to be a playoff team. No, I agree. Um, I, I've been tweeting about it a little bit in the last 24 hours and actually, talked about it quite a bit on MLB Network last week. I think they're an argument for expanding the playoff field. Hmm. 
you know, they, they've had basically the same record as the Indians. There's some days you look up, they actually even have a better record than the Indians. Mm-hmm. What they haven't had is the same schedule as the Indians. The Indians have played in the worst division in history, ever. Uh, on Thank you, Minnesota Reference. Twins. <laughs> the, the Twins have contributed. I know they have. <laughs> Thank you very much. You look at baseball reference, and they rate strength of schedule. The Indians have played the easiest schedule in the sport, and it's not close. Wow. It's not close. They played half their season against those four teams in their division. And until they played the Red Sox this week, after the Red Sox had clinched, the Indians had not won a series of three games or more against any team with a winning record. Not one. <laughs> wow. And it, there's nothing about this <laughs> that is fair. And I really feel for the Rays because not just of the season they've had, but the way they've done it. Could this be enough for baseball to at least look at the at, at rearranging the schedules so you're not playing your division rival something like 18 times apiece? Because <laughs> I'm sick yeah. of that. Right. I mean, they, I don't you know, like they got to play the, the a quarter of their season is the Yankees and Red Sox, yeah. two teams that are, what, what are there, 85 games over 500 be, between them, right? Or 95, whatever it is. And uh, that's not fair. And the Rays have been yelling about this for years. I've had the conversation with them that this schedule is not fair. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to change until baseball expands. It's just not. I. I've written about it this year. You and I have talked about it. When they can get up to 32 teams, they're going to realign. Uh, it'll be if, if it's not total geographic realignment, it'll be much more geography-centric realignment. They're going to change the schedule, and more teams are going to make the postseason, and this won't be as big an issue. But for now, it's a huge issue, and it's not going to change. So Ken Giles, the former pitcher of the Astros, now a closer for the Blue Jays, had some some comments about uh, his time in Houston and uh, just how he, since he's gotten to Toronto, he just feels so much better and the whole situation is different. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, dude, you won the World Series last year. Like what what could possibly be different now or, or better now playing in Toronto than it would be in Houston? I mean, what's, what's your take on that? Well, this is a little complicated. <laughs> you know, uh, I've known Ken Giles for a while. He you know, came up in Philadelphia where I live. And, look, he's a little different. There's no doubt he's a little different. But they traded five players for him. And they thought he was going to be Craig Kimbrell. And that never happened. You know, he he gave up at least one run in every appearance in the entire postseason last year except one. Mm. And between that and punching himself in the face and doing stuff that just made them all scratch their heads, they had to get him out of there. Um, In my experience, that's one of the best clubhouses and one of the best cultures in the game in Houston. The manager, A.J. Hinch, is one of the most player-friendly managers in the game. And if Ken Giles didn't enjoy himself, which he said about 100 times in that interview, <laughs> it's his fault. 
it's not their fault. Jason Stark, if uh, Joe Maurer plays on Sunday and then sometime in the coming months says, I'm done playing baseball, how are you going to recall him as a player? Well, you know, we we had a lot of conversation about this this year uh, when he got that 2000th hit. Um, and I think Joe Maurer is a Hall of Famer. When you compare his what he's done with the other catchers of his generation, and he spent 10 seasons as a catcher, that's a Hall of Fame career. He's the Ernie Banks of his time, right? Because Ernie Banks was a Hall of Fame shortstop and not a real good first baseman. Mm-hmm. And so people, there are people who are going to remember Joe Maurer as a first baseman. But to me, he should be judged against the other catchers of his time. Um, we have very selective memories, don't we? We don't remember the good times. We don't remember the great times. We don't remember the batting titles. Yep. We don't remember what a class human being Joe Maurer's been. We just remember that he hasn't been a real productive first baseman and he didn't hit enough home runs. Yep, That's not how I'm going to remember him. I, I think the perception of Joe in this market is very different. That contract caused, and, and it's weird here because you, you would think that, that he would be a hometown hero type of guy, Jason. But yep. I think the, the expectation of him in this market actually was enormous. And I think nationally, he's going to be recalled for being a catcher who won, as you said, three batting titles and was fantastic. So I think the perception outside Minneapolis-St. Paul of Joe is going to be quite different from what it is internally here. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, you know, I've I've heard from people <laughs> in Minnesota, and I understand how they feel about this. Um, I, that contract isn't his fault. Who wouldn't have signed it? Yep. And right. the thing that was cool about it was, <laughs> where does he come from? I know. Where, where did he want to be? Yep. Where did they want him to be? This is this is the way the scripts are supposed to go. I, I mean, I'm sorry that they. Never won a World Series. I'm sorry they kept running into the Yankees in October. And I'm sorry the concussions and age and everything else took its toll. But this, this someday people are going to look back on this as one of the great Minnesota stories, I think. Mm-hmm. At least they should. All right, sir. Time for trivia. What do you got for us? You, you ready? I'm ready. Yep. You know, I was, he's ready. I, I, I was thinking about this because Yoan Moncada went roaring past 200 strikeouts the other day this season. And there have only been two twins who even struck out 150 times in a season. So all you have to do is name those two. Two twins have struck out 150 times in a season. Um, I'm going to guess Harmon is one of them. I would guess the same thing. I'm guessing we might be wrong on that one. But, yes, let's put in Harmon Killerbrew as one. Harmon Killerbrew struck out a lot. But he never quite got to 150. Really? 122 was his tops. Really? I would have sworn. Okay. Um, that? Let's regroup, Manny. Surprised about that myself. Yes. Yeah. I, I would have thought there'd be at least one 150 season for him. Um, you think, like, Brunansky ever got there? Bruno, maybe. I was kind of thinking Jack Jones, too. Jack Jones struck, struck out, out a lot. so much. Even as a leadoff guy, he struck out a lot. But I'm cool. trying to think. I don't. I don't think it was Jack Jones. All right, though. so I've got so perhaps Brunansky. Wait, well, I want to get two wanna, guesses at once here, very well, surely. Miguel probably right. 
Last year? Yeah, you know what? You're probably Maybe right. Last year, it's just the, the thing of it is, is Miguel, I don't think, has ever played more than like 100 in <laughs> Which is part of the problem. Games in a season. Okay, Jason but. Stark, let's go Brunanski, Miguel Sano. Okay, well, Miguel Sano is correct. Okay. Last two years, 178 in 2016, <laughs> 173 <laughs> in 2017. My goodness. Tom Brunanski is not correct. Never came close, never struck out 120 times. Wow. Jock Jones would have been a better guess, but he really never <clears throat> never got to 150 to 129 was okay. his peak. Uh, here's, you want a hint? Sure. The other guy did it last year also. Um, okay, we're okay. This is going to be we're going to kick ourselves as soon as we hear this one. <laughs> Yeah, the answer are two guys who did it last year. It's not much of a trivia question, right? No, it's not. <laughs> Dozier? I'm, I'm so devious. Was it Brian Dozier? He just missed. He struck out 100. Did Rosario strike out a ton? One times. Did Rosario strike out a ton? Th- Eddie was going to be my next guess. Because he's a free swinger, at least. Mm, no. no. All right. He, we he give up. Late. We give up. You got us again. <laughs> you are I'm devious. they forget about Byron Buxton. Oh, he got there? Wow. Yeah, I was going to guess him, and then I thought there's exactly no way he could have <laughs> Out of that leadoff hole. I was going to guess him, and then I thought there's no wow. way he could have got there as much as he struck out. <laughs> so basically what you're doing is just picking on the two supposedly greatest prospects in I, Twins history. Here, I didn't Jason pick on him. It's just, oh. it's just facts, that's all. Oh. How could you not give Carlos Gomez? I blame Manny. Oh, I'm just so, yeah. I'm so, I'm so flummoxed by the Carlos fact it was Buxton. Too, the yeah. guys in the 140s were very entertaining. Dozier just missed. Bobby Darwin once. Killebrew. Carlos Gomez. Josh Willingham. That's a good group. Bobby Darwin. Holy uh, way back that machine. One? That's a good one. <laughs> ahead, of his, ahead of his time in the swinging and missing. Yes, you got that right. Thank you, Jason Stark. Thanks, Jason. Talk to you next right, week. Care, Appreciate guys. it. All right. Jason Stark, always uh, a great guest, but, all, but always devious in that trivia question. Now check out Boston his work know. at The wow, Athletic. Man. The Athletic, you can check out his work. He's He is the king of, he came up with, he tweeted a great one from last night. These, these great, like, baseball things, factoids that you don't think of. Mm-hmm. Last night, the Cardinals used a, an opener. I think his name was Dan Jennings. Okay. He, he got one out and left the game. He didn't get Come hurt. On. He didn't get hurt. He just left the game. He got one out. First inning, I guess, too. He started. He was the opener. Yes, he was the opener. Before, as Molly calls him now, the primary pitcher. Royce's head in Golden Valley was spinning around and round and round. You've got to be kidding me. Oh, let's uh, let's take a break. All Come right. back, wrap up this hour from the TCL Broadcast Studios, and then Phil will join at four o'clock. Uh, plenty to come in that hour as well as more as well as more on the Everson Griffin uh, situation that uh, is continuing to evolve here. But Mackie and Judd are back. I have indeed been uploaded, sir. We're online and ready on fifteen hundred ESPN. Quick look at your traffic here on the TCL Broadcast Studios. If you're headed. On uh, northbound 35E, look out for a crash uh, near Victoria Street in Lilydale. That is uh, slowing things down by a few minutes. Also, if you're headed eastbound on 94 uh, towards St. Paul, be on the lookout for a crash near uh, County Road 33 and 35E uh, just before uh, downtown St. Paul. So be on the lookout for that. And that's a look at your traffic. You know, and it's not unusual. This has happened before, and not just our team. It won't be the last person that requests a trade. And we've had players here since I've been here 
uh, that have requested trades. And so if, if something makes sense and can make your team better, it's always about until you win it, you've got to keep looking at how you can improve. Well, 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 mm-hmm. Tibbs. I'm sure you saw the report last night, Manny Hill, from Woj of ESPN, after Tibbs said that at Wolves Media Day on Monday, that he had, that Tibbs basically went to Butler and begged him to at least take the court and play for his team. This thing, we were, I think Phil asked question of both of us yesterday, do we expect this to be done soon now? And I think you said yes, and I said, I did, and I am losing faith quickly. If you read the ESPN.com piece by Woj right now about what is going on behind the scenes and the level of dysfunction here. I don't, I am flabbergasted. Even for the Wolves, it's off the charts. Basically what it reads like, it doesn't read like Tibbs is trying to inflate Butler's value. It reads like Tibbs is doing everything he can. Like he legitimately thinks that he can convince him to stick around. Yeah. It's, I've seen sports dysfunction. I mean, I covered the 2010 Vikings. So I've seen the roof collapse. Mm-hmm. And the only th- oh, the only thing I can compare this to, Manny Hill, the only thing that I can come close to, and it cost him his job eventually, is when Childress released Randy Moss without mm-hmm. telling the Wilfs after a month in 2010. And I believe the Vikings, the next game, they had lost to the Patriots. Childress was mad because Moss, uh, Moss walked into the locker room in New England and loudly said in front of Ziggy and all his buddies, you better hire a new bleeping coach because this guy can't coach. Childress um, got wind of that. Uh, Thank you. Um, or uh... this, is, But so the next day, Brad released Moss without telling ownership about this. This comes the closest as, as I've seen, where Tibbs and Layton are being told, do this and make it happen. And I think Carl Anthony Towns is being assured it's going to happen. And Tibbs continues to drag his feet. I, I don't think this has anything to do with actual negotiating ploys. Mm-mm. It's what you just said. He thinks he can you, keep this you, guy. Yeah, and and people. It's insubordination, right? Somebody had tweeted at me the other day, like, why, you know, why, why has it been like this? Or what? And I said, my thought was, normally I would think this was a negotiation tactic if you're trying to get a deal with Miami or the Knicks or the Clippers or whatever. But this is Tibbs. This is a completely different. This is a completely different thing, and I just, I'm going to keep saying it over and over and over, Judd, until something actually happens that I do not believe that Tom Thibodeau can objectively handle this situation. It, Jimmy continues to tell him, we're breaking up. Yep, it's over. It's, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not going to play here. Trade me, trade me, trade me, trade me. And and Tibbs' supervisor keeps saying, trade him. And Tibbs won't do it. I don't see how, how it works. I don't see how you can continue down this path. It's an insubordinate employee. Yeah. So, uh, all right. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that with uh, Phil as well. Phil about to step into studio, and we will obviously get back to Everson Griffin and the latest there. The show is Mackie and Judd and Manny, of course. TCL Broadcast Studios is location. Two hours left to go. People, people, I have an important announcement. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN.